What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the In The Round Podcast. You got your boy, Matt Burrill, and today, a very special guest. We have got my good buddy, Mr. Steven Wilson Jr. You may know his song, Year To Be Young, 1994, and he's actually playing a show here in Nashville, Tennessee, on October 26th, over at the end. You can get your tickets for that and uh, go check him out. He's a real talent. He's got a hell of a story. He's lived a few different lives in his 42 years on this planet Earth, and uh, we got to talk about all kinds of shit. I really, really enjoy it. Hope you will, too. Now, without further ado, got to tell you all about our sponsors real quick. Our friends at Whaletail Media, whaletail.com, Whales and Gracie and Beezy and Paige and the whole crew over there. Make sure you check them out for all your content needs. We love your whales and the Whaletail team. We also have our friends at Saxman Studios, Grady Saxman, Grant, Saul, Will, Tim, the whole team over there, Dylan, we love those guys very much. Make sure you check them out if you're looking for a spot to record here in Nashville, Tennessee. And last but certainly not least, our friends in the green world. They're even making their own products now. Before they were outsourcing them, but now they're making them on their, on their own in the lab over at Trailside CBD. Emporium. They are the best. They're great. Um, they've, they're growing as much as we're growing, and they're growing the good stuff. I'll tell you that much. Hemp-based CBD and Delta-8 THC products. They even got shit for your dogs, and uh, they have their brand new flagship vapes that you got to check out. Uh, it's trailsidecbd.com. Promo code ITR gets you 20% off at checkout. Um, like I said, they got flour. They got vapes. They got dabs. They got literally everything and anything you could need green wise and uh yeah so check them out now without further ado we're gonna jump into it my conversation with the one the only very talented mr steven wilson jr here on the in the round podcast yo i love your your style bro like you're wearing this this vintage like rose like i guess that's is that like considered a western shirt like where, where do you get something like that um honestly uh my wife got this for me so i think she got it on amazon or something like that but um yeah it is kind of a western vibe i'm really big into cardigans too nice i um uh, i don't know i just love cardigans they're comfortable uh, yeah and if I, you don't want to go full if you don't want to go fully in on the sweater or like the turtleneck or something like that you keep the room it keeps you it gives you that room to breathe all that stuff yeah. and then that hat you were telling me the story before we hopped on here you got that at a gas station in texas I did, yeah. And uh, well, actually, my wife got it in a gas station. In you got a cool, you got a cool wife. I know she has some good taste, but she's technically the one who bought it, but she never wore it. And so I was, I was like, I gotta wear that hat. Like it's like it's my thing. It just feels like uh, something connected to me for whatever. Like oh, yeah. I'm not a super. I've I've had a very religious kind of upbringing, yeah. but I'm not like crazy religious now. Like a lot of people ask me if I'm Catholic or you know, Whatever, what I believe yeah. in, you know, because of this, but I just feel like it just represents kind of more earth, like life, like mother earth, so to speak, more so than, I don't know, uh, mother Maria. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I love the symbolism of it. So absolutely. So you talk about that, that upbringing Southwest Indiana on the border of Kentucky, right? Well, South Central Indiana. South Central Indiana. Yeah, just okay. north of Louisville. So, but yeah, right on the border of Kentucky. Kentucky Anna, as they K- call it. Kentucky Anna. And out there, there really, there isn't a whole lot like going on. Like that's pretty out there in the country, like yeah. cornfields, things like that. I mean, was, was that kind of like, like how like movies like 
field of dreams or, or signs or things like that? Yeah, uh, it felt more like Children of the Corn. Or Children of the Oh, jeez. <laughs> I think that's Man. probably more so, inappropriate. So you saw like crop circles and like things like that? Like, are well, those I've real? seen UFOs for sure. I haven't seen crop circles, but I also saw like a lot of like uh, devil worship, so to speak. Really? Uh, there was a lot of like, kind of, at least when I was a kid, like a lot of satanic cults and stuff around. And no shit. That was like a whole thing. Like, really? and that's kind of what Children of the Corn is about, you know. Yeah. So what's in a lot of ways. so what what's your first like your first ghost encounter? Because I think like ghost or or like UFOs. Because like I've had nights where we're growing growing up in New York. I mean, you see a lot of different lights and things in the sky. But I feel like if you're out in the place where you grew up, South Central Indiana, you don't really see a lot of stuff in the sky. You just kind of see the stars. So when stuff yeah. happens, it's like it's very you you can tell when it's something. So what was your first like? Oh shit, that's a UFO. Uh, well, uh, it actually, and they both happened within a month of each other, I'd say. Uh, one, one, I was uh, deer hunting, and I was on my way out to a deer stand at like 4.30 in the morning, and I saw two lights hovering over a cornfield, just like two orbs, I guess you would call them, and they... It, how, weird, high, how high in the sky are they going? Are I they couldn't like, really tell, I, but it looked like they were, um, if I could tell from my distance maybe like 50 feet in the air 20 to 50 feet in the air and they're just hovering in the field and um and i the weirdest thing about it i was like looking at it and they're they look like headlights like a car like headlights but the car was like 50 feet in the air just hovering you can really see the vehicle all i could see were the headlights like you would if it was a car and then the uh the the lights started moving in like like they were equidistant to each other so they started moving left and right, kind of like a pong game, like but equidistant. They kept the same distance in front of each other. So left and right, and I was like, "Whoa, that's weird." And then what was crazy is they started moving apart from each other, and then coming back to each other. Like it's kind of hard to see this on a podcast, but they were like moving separately and then coming back together, and then they would come in equidistant together and then move again together left or right. And then the weirdest thing about it is it stopped, and then I, like, you know, I had to get out to my deer stand, but I was so intrigued by it. I said, I'm kind of in a hurry. Do it again. And it did it again. Whoa. And, and it, like, I, it, it felt like the thing was toying with me. Like, it was putting on a, a really boring show for me. <laughs> but, like, it, uh, like, it knew that so, like whatever was controlling that knew that somebody was watching yeah it. it knew i was watching it and it was watching me and it was almost felt like it was there for for me in that moment and i was i just sat out there and ended up getting out to my deer stand really late because of it and uh did you end up getting a deer i didn't not that morning but uh, i saw a ufo so i was feeling i was feeling pretty good about my day yeah. but i saw like then i saw like six lights about three or four four weeks later i was driving down highway and this is all in indiana by the way southern indiana i saw like this u-shaped lights like hovering above me and to the point that i pulled my car over immediately scared it looked like something out of a movie like like close encounters of the third kind or something and i like as soon as i could get my phone out to look at it all the lights went off like gone and then it was just gone and i couldn't see or hear anything it was damn so so like I mean, so you've seen it like it like it's it's real. I mean, because there's talk about like Area 51 and like all that shit that people say. It's like 
covered up and like as has happened in in different different areas more so out in the west but i mean could you imagine like so the stuff's out there like there's something out there i'm not saying it's like aliens from another planet or whatever i it could be just technology we're not aware of but either way it was unidentified and it was flying and it was an object so it's a UFO. <laughs> yeah, that's that's my definition. Yeah. So so another another thing uh, growing up in Indiana that we we got to talk about boxing, a huge part of your life, a huge yeah. part of your story. Um, and you said growing up, and you're Stephen Wilson Jr. So yep. third, you're the son of Stephen Wilson, who also big boxing guy. Talk about uh, the role that that sport of boxing has played in your life. Uh, it was pretty huge. So my dad was a fighter, and um, he passed away three years ago. Um, but he was, you know, the toughest dude I've ever met. So I, at, at a very young age, like he got kind of this, you know, spark in him to fight when he was about 18 years old. And, and I came along when he was about 18 years old. I was like a shotgun baby, hey. you know, and he ended <laughs> up having like two more kids, a shotgun wedding that followed. So my mom was like six months pregnant when they got married. And so he had me the whole time. So I got a kind of like by the time I was five years old he was like five years into his career he was only 23 years old and um he was whooping a lot of can I say the word yeah ass you say whatever you want okay all right I just want to make sure there's no censorship he was whooping a lot of ass hell yeah and um he's just a super strong tough guy and um so I you know and then he started joining this gym up in Indianapolis and um kind of in the ghetto and this guy named champ cheney took took him under his wing and uh he's fighting with a lot of african-american fighters to be honest he was the only one in the gym and i just saw him get the crap beat out of him and there was mornings like he couldn't even open his eyes up he'd have to open his eyes up with his fingers to see us because his you know his face was bludgeoned in but and that was just from sparring. That was not even from the fights. But and to be the best, you got to train against the yeah. best. And that sounds like something your dad was doing. Yeah. And so he really kind of earned a lot of respect in that gym. So I, I saw that kind of happen. Then I saw him fight. And he was on like Muhammad Ali's boxing team. He and Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier had like com- competitive traveling teams at that point. And, and at that time, he had three kids or my, or he had two kids when he was on that team and about to have a third. And, um, so he just kind of had to make that decision to be a dad. And he still continued amateur boxing super seriously. But he started training me and my brother because we just, you know, decided we wanted to do it at a very young age, probably now, six or seven years now you old. You always hear about, like, soccer moms or, like, football dads or, like, little league parents. What's a boxing dad like, like, growing up with, with that? Because that's a tough sport. So what what yeah. was that like growing up and being involved and having the passion for it, but your dad having a having a big role in that and being a guy that's involved in the sport? Like your dad's a name within boxing. Yeah. Um, well, first I got to see him fight a lot, and I got to see him kind of battle it out. And once I saw him doing these things, it kind of gave me the courage to do things like that. I was very quiet as a kid. I was very weird. And uh, I wasn't good at team sports. So boxing made a lot of sense to me because uh, my dad was actually great at team sports and a lot of sports. But I wasn't. And I wasn't. And I had his name. I was Stephen Wilson Jr. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of differences because I was so weird and quiet and not, you know, crazy ass athletic. But that boxing was a real unifying thing that we both I was good at. My brother was really good at it. And um, and so was my dad. So we kind of got to keep that. That was like our 
thing we had in common because by the time music came along he didn't even know how to process all that and so like him you know he didn't throw me in the ring I went in there on my own but I think you know his way it was his way of kind of preparing me for life and without you know knowing it at the time because you know I was very academic later and I got into music those were all things that he was not he did not know how to manage that world it wasn't what he was from but I think he knew if I can throw this boy in the ring and he can go three rounds with an adult man and walk out, like, I don't, there's very little he can't do afterwards. Yeah. Because, Amen. Because the bar is set so high for pressure. So I used to get, you know, stage fright and anxiety a lot before I play. And I'd be like, wait, I've fought another human being in front of like a thousand people. Yeah. And like, this is nothing compared to that. Like it was like the craziest adrenaline rush. I like once you step through those ropes, like you know, there's no turning back. And that was my dad's kind of motto: was like, when, you know, just stepping through the ropes, you've already won because you've already done something that nine, you know, not like one out of you know nine hundred ninety nine thousand people like won't ever do. Like you know, like um, you're just. That that's just a kind of a really a rare thing because I've seen a lot of people that just would weigh in and you know do get ready for the fight and then just drive home before the fight was happening you know because just because the pressure of stepping through those ropes yeah. is really high and absolutely the, and it's that that thing I mean you get your ass whooped in a ring that's that's a tough in front of people that's a that's a tough tough thing to tough thing to follow now do you still follow boxing to this day oh heavily yeah so what like so. I mean, you've, so you're, how old are you? You're mid thirties, right? I'm actually 42. Oh, you're 42. Okay. So you've gotten to see kind of the, an era of boxing. I mean, cause you rewind to like the Tyson days and even the, the Mayweather Pacquiao stuff. Yep. Like you've gotten to see boxing to where it was bigger than it is in a way now. Like, what do you think it is to where people aren't like the whole world is, is now not like it was back in the day where they were watching Ali, they were watching Frazier, they were watching, mm. watching Tyson, like as a world as the entire world if mike tyson was fighting people were watching it was primetime news everything what is it about the sport today do you think like is there something they could be doing differently like what is it to uh, promote well it's just a different world now i think uh obviously ufc has had a big impact on just you know contact sports you know it really kind of shadowed uh put a shadow over boxing for a long time but i think there's been a bit of a uh, a nice crossover between those two sports where I've seen, you know, as of late, a lot of interest in it that didn't exist, say, 10 years ago. And social media has been really great for that. But there's a, a lot of great fighters that are bringing recognition to the sport. I think like Canelo Alvarez yeah. and Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. And uh, there's, a, you know, a myriad of other fighters that, you know, that are, are doing really well. Caleb Plant is one of my yeah. local local boys that is you know bringing a lot of fire to the sport and you know the the social media aspect i think is engaging a lot of people because uh, boxing is just a it's a different sport than ufc a lot of people kind of put them in the same arena but they're not there's just such a it's such a tactical sport it's like playing chess with your fists and that's uh, a great way i've never heard it described like that but that's exactly what it is yeah totally and ufc is a little bit more very you know, or uh you know mma there's just so many ways to win a fight and with boxing there's only really two like you win by decision or knockout or tko i guess three but you know and and then it's just it's a massive 
you know, as Mike Tyson would say, it's a thinking man's sport. You know, a tough guy will get hurt really bad in boxing because that's if you're just tough, you you will have no longevity in that sport. You have to be able to have an IQ and a brain. You got to be good at chess, basically, and and then also you know have the conditioning and the toughness that that goes along with it. But yeah, the training for that's got to be brutal. Yeah, it is. It's it's the most horrendous thing you can put your body through, but it's one of the most intense things you'll ever go through is a fight so if you don't really condition yourself well for it you you'll just get destroyed yeah so so how do you grow up doing you grow up boxing you're still very passionate about it you you come down here you end up doing which when did you get down to nashville by the way so you're 42 now when did you move down here it had been like 2000 2001 yeah okay um you know a freshman in college or a sophomore, technically, at that point. I'd gone to a, a school up in Indiana in Anderson for a year. And, but I, my mama lived in uh, Smyrna and Murfreesboro oh, most nice. of my life. So I I used to would drive through Nashville to get there, and I always had this, like, I don't know, attraction to the city that was um, kind of palpable. It just felt like home to me. And um, so... Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I moved down here in 2000, 2001 in order to go to school. I was going to be, you know, I was a microbiologist and I was going to do an applied science degree because I was quite good at biology and applied sciences in school. It seemed like a, a guaranteed ticket out of my hometown. So and it was going to keep me out of there. Um, so that was, you know, it seemed like a safe bet. And everybody that I knew told me, hey, you're you're good at that. You should do that. Even though I was really more interested in music, <clears throat> yeah. So, yeah, and and the the going. So how so you were working in the professional field in in yeah. biology and things like that. Like how yeah. how was that? Like because that's that's not something like I don't know many biologists. <laughs> like I I don't know that world at all. What was what was that chapter of your life like? Um, it was interesting. Well, I um I was a microbiologist and a food scientist. My degrees in microbiology and. Um, but yeah, I worked for Mars, the food company, and R and D M and M's, right? Yeah, but they also have their pet food division here in Cool Springs and Thompson Station. So I worked in R and D for them, making like you know pedigree products and various you know lines of different brands that they have. But because um, they do like you know pedigree, Nutro, whiskeys, yeah. all those huge brands, and so I got to work in R and D for them, and they're an amazing company, and. um you know, I was I was in an indie rock band when I, it was. It's kind of a weird, convoluted story. When I graduated college, um, I joined this indie rock band, and instead of I was going to go get my PhD because I really thought I wanted to be a pathologist. I was more interested in that line of work. Um, but I started this indie rock band, and and we ended up, you know, before we knew it, we were touring with national acts and all this stuff, and um, and then. You know, after doing that about for, for four years, playing a thousand plus shows, probably really getting a lot of road experience, I decided I want to go back into. I just couldn't. That life wasn't sustainable, especially for my wife and stepson at the time. So I went back and worked for Mars, and they offered me a job as a in R and D there, yeah. and, which I didn't really foresee coming. And uh, 
So, and it was like the best job I'd ever had as far as real jobs and great pay and great company, upward mobility. There, there's all something that about stuff. having that big boy job. You yeah. know, there, there's something about that stability. Like, like for me, I'm, I'm a touring guy. Like I'm 26. I'm, I'm loving going out and doing it, but I also yep. don't have a significant other. I don't have, I don't have the kid. I don't have all these, these other things going on. So I, yeah. get, I get that going back to the, the nine to five right there. Yeah, and when we were touring, we were making very little money, so it yep. wasn't like we yep. were killing it, you know, like, yep. it was more of a financial decision, and, uh, but, yeah, you know, I, I think, you know, I had to work that job to see, like, what color the grass was on the other side of the fence, you know, that, and, you know, it wasn't as green as I thought it was, uh, and about three or four years into the job, I had a great boss that told me, like, they're about to put the golden handcuffs on you, that's what he called it. And uh, it's basically you're going to get paid more than you've ever been paid. And you're going to, you know, you're going to change your life and adapt to that new income scale. And then your your dreams of going and being a songwriter, which is I, which I can tell is what you really want to do. Because yeah. you're writing songs all the time, even in the lab. And, like, that's all you think about. You're just kind of on autopilot with your job. and But, you know, they want to make you like a you know, a line manager and you, you're going to be doing, you're going to have a lot more responsibilities and <clears throat> you're kind of at a crossroads really in your life. Do you want this life or do you want that life? And about, you know, three or four weeks after that conversation, I put my two weeks in and freaked everybody out and they were like, what are you doing? You're going to go write songs? You're going to, and I was like, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and, I went and bartended and waited tables for two years and wrote with everybody and anybody that would write with me because I just wanted to be a published writer because songwriting was my first kind of love within music. And um, so, you know, they, um, you know, about two or two and a half years after I quit my job, I got a, I met this guy named Chris Oglesby at BMG Publishing and he heard one of my weird songs. <laughs> and uh, and he offered me a deal pretty much on the spot, no you know. And shit. I took a few meetings before, and everybody told me I was too weird. I didn't write enough songs about trucks and beer and and, you, and girls. You, were, you, you weren't too weird. You were too authentic. Uh, I don't you know were, what you, I was. You, but. Oh, that's that's being too authentic and and knowing what you want to say and not writing what other people want you to say. That's that's what that is. Oh, well. Which is which is which is a great thing, and you see it worked out for you. Because somebody realized that. Because authenticity to me right now is what's so important. And that to me is what's starting to come back. Yeah. Which is why I think a guy like you, Stephen, is is out there right now getting got this buzz going on. There's yeah. something people are starting to really connect with the real shit, you know? Well, I think the real shit is what kind of got me into it. Like, you know, rewind uh, a couple, you know, several years from me moving here. I was on a school bus. I had like an hour and a half. Uh, ride to school and an hour and a half ride home first kid on last kid off so about three hours a day of country music immersion five days a week times how many years i went to school this is growing up this is growing up so i was on this school bus one day and uh it was all like 90s country music that's the only thing this farmer bus driver would let us listen to and so i got a lot you know i started hearing all these songs and i started you know being affected by them and you know, particularly you know i had this kind of tumultuous childhood um with my mom and a lot of family stuff and um you know, there was a lot of um domestic violence and a lot of you know i was constantly worried about my mom living she lived in tennessee and i lived in 
in Indiana and Seymour, Indiana. And I always just like, I was, had this constant fear of losing her my whole childhood. And, um, tell you they're, you know, someone or something. And I was on that school bus one day and this song by Tim McGraw called Don't Take the Girl comes on. Yeah. So I'm sitting there and I'm like 12 years old or whatever. And I'd heard the song before, but I'd never listened to the song. There's a difference between hearing and listening. And I was sitting there and I was just sitting on the bus killing that one, you know, hour and a half that I have to every morning. The song came on and three and a half minutes later, I was a disaster. I was like, like trying, you know, like not to cry on a school bus. And, you know, I was 12 years old, not a good, not a good look for a 12 year old boy, especially in Southern Indiana. And, uh, so yeah, I was like, what in the hell just happened to me? Like I've watched movies for 90 minutes. I've seen the craziest things that haven't had an effect on me. I like, I was able to copy and paste my mom's situation into this. The song has nothing to do with that situation. Into Johnny singing about don't yeah. take the Johnny tell tell yeah, everybody was, don't don't take the girl take don't, me yeah don't exactly. take the girl take me and that's me. how I felt in yeah. the moment I was like take me don't take my mom it's powerful I, yeah and it was like oh my god I never had like an experience like this and and that was the first you know my first taste of like oh like a song happened to me that's what a song is I I'd heard these songs my whole life but I didn't know how powerful they could be and then I was like immediately like that's like magic like who did this like what kind of wizard you know like put this all together to give me this experience i come to find out there were these wizards in nashville (laughs) writing these songs and uh creating these experiences and these artists were you know singing them and being the vehicle for them and that was you know that's all i wanted to do and all i want to do as a songwriter and an artist is to give somebody that same experience because it was, you know, such a torch to be lit, and all I can, yeah, dude. All I care to do is pass it on. Absolutely, yeah. It's funny because the first album that I remember listening to as a kid, even in New York, where you don't really, it's not considered to be a huge country market. They say it's the biggest country market just because it's the biggest market. We happen to have a country station, but I remember list, riding around my grandmother's 1999 Ford Windstar in the car seat listening to that first Tim McGraw Greatest Hits album, and that being, I think it was like track two, maybe. Or yeah. It was like track two or three, but I remember listening to Don't Take the Girl. So that's a really cool story with how that like kind of led into it. So so when did you start like putting the pen to paper? Um, well, I, I started, I've always been doing it. Like I've always like secretly wrote poems and stuff like that. Well, like when's, when's the, when did it really become a habit? Like when um, did the bug bite you? Probably in college. That's when I just like, I just couldn't stop doing it. But I, I never sang a note in my life. I was a guitar player. I started playing guitar when I was about 16, and I was like a little shredder. I picked it up real quick, and um, I just thought I was always going to be a guitar player, and I never in a million years, if you told me when I was a kid or even in college, even when I was 25 or 30, hey, you're going to be singing songs, when I never would have believed you, never, because I just I never sang a song before. And yeah. uh, so I was writing for other people to sing them. That's in my mind. That's how the process when, was going to when, work. When was that first cut? Like as in college, like where you were, where you were kind of just writing, like not not like before the pub deal, before all that stuff. When was the first time you heard somebody else singing your song? Because that's got to be a cool, cool uh, feeling as a writer. Yeah. Well, honestly, it was in my indie rock band. That was when the first time I, because that's where I really started. You know. I was writing, me and the lead singer wrote all the songs for the most part, and and um, 
you know, some of them I wrote by myself, some of them he wrote by himself. And we were really just kind of cutting our teeth at the same time. But we had this vehicle for like playing them. Like I could literally write a song and we say, let's try it out in the set tonight. And you could instantly see people react to it. So I was like, holy cow, this is an, this is amazing. And now, then you hear that song on the radio maybe, and yeah. then that's a whole other now, feeling. Now, what was that band like? Like, what was, what was the sound of that band in relation to what you're doing right now? Because indie rock can mean a whole bunch of different yeah, things, just, just like country can mean a whole bunch of different totally, things. Totally, yeah. I mean, it was, um, you know, very rock and roll driven. Um, kind of a little bit of a little bit of British pop kind of influence. Oh, very cool. dancey, a little bit of kind of 80s and 90s. Um, so a crowd likes it. They're going to be moving to it. Yeah, it's so very, you could, you could very, really tell. Very active and not active rock. Not that's totally different <laughs> yeah, genre. But uh, it's amazing it, how many subgenres yeah, rock and roll has. But uh, yeah, it was you know very you know kind of British dancey, um, very upbeat, and you know we had a pretty intense live show, which we really pr- you know prided ourselves on being, a, hopefully trying to be a great live band, and that was probably our biggest strength. So um, I got a lot of, you know, experience performing live from that band, not just songwriting. And then, you know, after I left the band, you know, because of that band, we started getting plugged into writing rooms. And that's when, like, I really saw that Don't Take the Girl moment came back. Like, holy cow, this is how that song was, like, you know, I got to see, like, the whole process because that wasn't on career day. So, uh, <laughs> So I got to see that you know, the wizard behind the curtain, so to speak, or the wizards. And um, and that's when I was like, all right, I have to do this, but I had to go work as a scientist for like four years until I could kind of get my, you know, family situated. And, and you know, I had, like I said, to see the color of that grass and then realize it wasn't for me. And then all I could do was just write songs and write songs. And oddly, the first person to ever record one of my songs, he didn't release it. But it was Tim McGraw. No shit. Yeah. The first time I ever had like a a country recording. Now, what year would that have been? Because there's multiple eras of Tim McGraw. Like, Tim McGraw was my been... first concert who like my grandmother like loves and my, my family like, growing up. That was like what we listened to was a lot of Tim McGraw. Every time yeah. we come to New York or New Jersey, we'd go see Tim McGraw. What era? What, when would that have been? It would have been 2016, 2017. Okay, so that's like around that, like po- just post like Humble and Kind, like right around that era yeah. of Tim McGraw. Yeah, and I just really, I just signed my publishing deal. I just, you know, about six months before it, you know, so I hear I was like, okay, I finally got a publishing deal and I could uh, quit waiting tables and all that stuff. And, and then, yeah, that happened. I, I'll never forget the day that uh, Missy Gallimore, who kind of plugs songs for him i was walking out of universal music publishing and uh, i was just walking out from her right casually and she's like hey steven how you doing i was like hey hey missy so good to see you i just wanted to let you know tim cut your song last night and i was like <laughs> casual <laughs> yeah and she's like all right have a good day and she walked off and i was like just kind of speechless i just had to walk outside and just like oh my god like that it was like a full circle moment yeah even though he didn't release it, I'm releasing it on my record. No oh, shit, hell but, uh, yeah, dude. What's, that's okay. What's what's the title of the song? It's called "For What It's Worth." Hell and, yeah, uh, it's one of my favorites. And um, but you know, it was you know whether he didn't release it or not, it was just a real affirmation. I got other cuts, you know, to follow. That was fine, but uh, it was just like okay, you're you're. It was that kind of kid that heard that song for the f- yeah. first time and 
seeing it kind of all connect. Yeah, that, yeah. For for you to be riding in that bus with that that old time bus driver, listening playing country music, nothing else on that station, and that first song that you that you that you really listen to, yeah. and for it to be that same voice singing, to be yeah. the first guy to record one of your songs, even though it didn't get released. That that is that all time yeah. full circle. It could have been yeah any artist, but it was just like it was him. Happened to be Tim McGraw. Yeah, just so it was pretty cool. That is really, really freaking cool, man. So, so as far as like, like your music, man, um, you kind of fit. You're like you said, like you're not the thing about beers and trucks, and mm-hmm. you're singing about girls, but not necessarily the same girls that the they were that country artists have been singing about for the last ten years or so. How would you categorize for somebody that hasn't listened to Stephen Wilson Jr.? How would you categorize your music? Like, where does where do you think it kind of like fits? Um, man. Um. It's very much it's country. I at least I like to think of it as like it's like country grunge, grunge country. Yeah. But, uh, you know, uh, I've just been like you know re- reading people's comments because people are really good at the game of oh you sound like this or you sound like this meets this meets this meets this and yeah I hear a lot of like he's a uh, you know Kurt Cobain meets Willie Nelson meets John Mellencamp and you know like that. Those kind of three genres, or whatever you want to call them, um, are are basically where the where it sits, you know. And all of those artists were very song focused. Yeah, uh, like the songs were everything, and um, and are everything. And so that's that's really important for me. Like you know, Kurt and they're just so different as writers too. Like. But Kurt's songs were like some of my favorite songs. His approach to abstract lyrics and the way he would formulate a lyric and the way he he could connect to you without saying something like right on the nose, like perhaps like some other writers would in the country genre. He could really make you feel something. Paints a picture. Like yeah. you, you feel it as he's singing it. He's yeah. sing, and he's singing his heart out. We obviously learned learned later what, what he was going through, but... With with some of those tracks and and a guy like John Mellencamp, another like you had just mentioned that he's got a, again song very first, and then Willie Nelson, of course, one of the goats. Um, what like so you say the comments and like what you see on like YouTube and TikTok, all that for you being being a forty two year old now, and we're we're in this this millennial world, Gen Z. I don't even know what generation we're on right now because they say like Gen Z X, all that. Yeah. What what is how has social media been for you? Like that's a whole nother, whole nother world. And it's like, it's part of like back in the day, it was just, you were an artist or you were a writer. You, you sang songs and went out on the road or you, you got up in the morning and would go write a couple songs. Now it's like, you have this social media aspect to it. What's that like? Uh, it's, it's definitely different, but I, you know, I've been around since the thing has happened. I've seen it all kind of yeah create. And I was like one of those rare generations that, remembers life before like i was still i was young but i remember a, a couple of years before like tech tech basically took over um and so i, I kind of remember both sides of it but yeah it's definitely something to get used to and um, what's your what's your favorite platform what's your least favorite platform uh i would say Facebook is my least favorite platform. Agreed. Very divisive. Not yeah. a lot. Not a lot of good coming from that no. place right now. Yeah, Agreed. I'd say Instagram is probably my most favorite. It's the one where I, I tend to consume more as a consumer, and I, and I like the you know just the approach from, um, from artist to you know viewer, however you look at that. But 
I don't know. I'm. I like to really, if you know, for from a social media standpoint, really make it more about the music. I'm not really interested in making it about me, because um, a lot of these songs are gifts. Like they aren't mine, even though they are mine. Um, they're not, you know, and yeah. I, and it would be a disservice to those gifts for me to make it all about me. And um, so, I think the power of that moment I had with that Tim McGraw song was the fact that I was the star of the song for three and a half minutes. Like Tim McGraw stepped aside and I became the star. And that's kind of how I want to approach my social media. Yeah. Yeah, like you you want it to be like how radio would, how that listening on that bus, that there was that that vehicle. Like you yeah. talk about the vehicle for, for the art, for the song. The social media, social media, like TikTok's been a vehicle that, big that time, you've yeah. seen big time, man. Like, and yeah. I saw today, it was it was blowing up again today, man. Yeah. Talk talk about what what that's all been like, because that's something where two years ago you nobody had any idea what TikTok was. I'm sure it was out there, but but obviously 2020, all the crazy shit from last year to where we are now, it's it's something where music has really benefited from it. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I've actually it's been a real eye opening thing for me even and i i enjoy the what tiktok has to offer uh, even surprisingly and and it surprised me as a platform in in ways that it's expressed humanity in ways that other platforms haven't i feel like it's you know a lot of stuff on instagram and facebook can be very contrived and staged and planned and that's there's nothing wrong with that um but I feel like TikTok is a little more loose and a little bit more spontaneous. And I see a lot of humanity in it. And I, and only, I guess the, the biggest blessing from TikTok is seeing the duets and watching someone react to your song and maybe even cry, maybe laugh. Have, and you, make, had, have you had that happen? I have, yeah. And it's happened several times. From this song called Year to Be Young, 1994. It's like a nostalgic song and it's, you know, I that that's what I'm after. Like that's that's my real goal is to see people have this experience, and uh, I, I gotta I gotta say TikTok figured that out, and I'm grateful for that component of it because seeing that's been a real just like that's really all I, I want. You know, money is is great, and I'd be happy just being financially content, but. Um, those moments mean way more to me than any monetary value. So seeing it affect people is is super yeah. important, and it has that. It's just immediately you see humanity yeah, instantly. What, what's been the the most eye opening reaction to that song? Because nostalgia is something that everybody feels, no matter how old you are. At some point, you you have that moment. You can be ten years old and think back to that time when you were five years old. But obviously, as you get older, you get more nostalgic moments. So that's that's a that's a pulling on a string that a lot of people have in their heart what what's been the the wildest reaction where they're like whoa this this song really hit this person um well yeah i mean you just see a lot of people be like why am i crying <laughs> like stuff like that which is always like you know, like when you can surprise people because that's the moment i had on that bus that's literally what i said to my why am i crying <laughs> and uh so like those kinds of comments and just seeing like people of all ages like that were older than that character in that song or way younger, like seeing 13 year old and 16 year old kids like, Hey, I wasn't even a, I was, you know, not even thought of 
1994, but for some reason this song connects with me. I don't know how or I don't know why, but I feel like I, I'm living this song and that's super cool. I wish I had lived this song and or whatever it is. And I think everybody, yeah, nostalgia is just like, like you said, is a universal theme from songs to like summer, you know, or, uh, was it, um, you know, the 69 song? Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. 1979 by Smashing Pumpkins. Is it summer of 69? Yeah, called? I think right. so, yeah. I was uh, double, um, you know, questioning my judgment there. But <laughs> 1979 was a song by the Smashing Pumpkins that I remember hearing. And, like, I don't know why. Like, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't around in 1979 to be, like, and so that, like, I don't know why it affected me, but it did. And so that's a cool thing to see that I didn't really quite think about is seeing like younger people react to it and older people react to it and the people that actually lived that as well, like very much reacting to it because they're like, you know, I think escapism is a is a priceless commodity right now. Absolutely, for sure. And uh, it offers that for just at least hopefully three minutes and 13 seconds or however long it is. <laughs> yeah, so when did, when did you when did you write that song? Like how did you come up with a a a nostalgic escapism like that kind of song? Like where does that come from? Well, it wasn't the intention of the day. I was writing with this guy named Ben West who uh co-produced all my songs with. And um it was the first song we ever wrote together, just the two of us. And um and I was telling him about this tragic first kiss that I had out at a roller skating rink. And uh, it was like a cold January night, and I met this girl named Amber. And uh, <laughs> and she asked me to skate around. Like I said, I was a really awkward, quiet disaster of a kid. And she asked me to skate in a couple circles around the skating rink, and we held hands, which was a first for me. Yeah. Um and okay you know and so we did that and i'm like okay i guess we're like going out now and um and then her i guess her mom was coming to pick her up i didn't know that went to the bathroom i come out my friends are like hey dude she's she's leaving her mom's here to pick her up she wants you to kiss her and i was like it was freezing outside so i i walk outside and they're like i was like but i don't know her i don't i don't really want to kiss her i don't know her like that to do that and I don't want to do it right here it's like the first time I ever kissed a girl all my friends like had sex already they're like <laughs> 13 years old 12 or whatever it is and uh southern Indiana yeah shit. there ain't nothing to do with <laughs> drugs and sex but uh but anyway that so you know they had their fat faces smashed up against the glass while I went out there and basically headbutted this girl with my teeth oh, and no. uh, it was terrible like you know, basically we just smashed our face together she turned around went and just jumped inside her mom's car and they drove off and I was left there just and my friends were just kind of laughing and like oh you did it you know like it's terrible but she broke up with me on like a cordless phone like two hours after that and you know I started listening to grunge music like immediately you know puts you into your feels yeah I was like okay I heard all this stuff you know Kurt was already gone I think at that point but I'd heard a lot of people talking about Nirvana and stuff, so I gave it a spin, and you know, and it just it connected what, 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 instantly. What was was it the Nevermind album? Or it what? was the Nevermind album, and it was a song called "Something in the Way," 
bro i remember yeah. that one where then it comes back in towards the end of the track and it's just like rocking because yeah. it's very slow and very low like chill and, then and, there's that br- and then there's that break in between it where it's just like silence for a while right and then it comes back is that the song i'm thinking of where then at the end there's like yeah there this- might have been a hidden track because it was the last yeah. song on the record yeah, i think, I think there-, there was a hidden track yeah there's a hidden it. track and it's just lots of noise like it yeah, just picks just, up yeah it's just very, nuts. very hard but yeah and i just remember that song like Okay, and I was talking to my friend, but I was like, yeah, dude, I just, I was like laying on my bedroom floor with the headphones on, just kind of hiding in that song, like felt my first heartbreak, terrible first kiss, out at a roller skating rink, and literally like, I was just talking, and we, he just was like writing it down, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, like, and then 1994 just kind of came out, like we just, you know, hiding in my head headphones, laying on the bedroom floor, 1994 was just like, it just fell out instantly. So we wrote it, you know, it was just a conversation. It turned into a song. And that was literally how it happened. We wrote it probably in an hour. It was very quick. And then wow. we spent another couple hours kind of building the demo and all that stuff. Yeah, that's got to be cool. What's it like writing with your producer? Because that's something that you don't really see a lot in country music. It's a big thing in rock music and like different yeah. things where like bands have their producers and the producers play such a big role. In country, you don't seem to find that as much. So what's that like writing with Ben, your your producer? That's got to be pretty cool. Yeah, uh, well, when I met Ben, Ben's also a great songwriter as well. So when we met, he's a, he's a writer, producer, and I guess I'm a producer as well, but not to the extent that Ben Ben is. And uh, so we were there like writing songs for other people. We weren't writing for my record. We weren't right like that song like got put on hold by four or five different artists. Oh no shit! Yeah, like and it just kept getting dropped and or for whatever reason and. And I didn't know Ben was my producer. Like he was just a guy I just met, and we were just writing a song so together. So it was so it was just a just a two way co write. It was a two way co write, and we pitched that song for two years, and um, and then um, you know my dad died, and it just changed everything. And you know Ben and I, I was like, you know, I had these songs. I'd, I'd written some of them by myself. I had a few others. I had one with him and another with Tony Lane and Marv Green. And I um, I wanted to, re- you know, just record him. Like, my brain had kind of changed instantly yeah, when my dad died. Yeah, what, what's that change? Was it you really being like, I want to go all, like, I've got I've got something to say. Like, I want to get this music out there as Stephen Wilson Jr. Or what yeah. What was the, the brain shift in that? Yeah, that's literally, my dad was my biggest fan. And um, he I think he always wanted me to do something like this. And... And I just knew these. For, for, something told me that like, you got to get these songs out there, and it, like it just happened instantly after he died. Like I said, my brain was like instantly rewired, and um, the man I was before was gone. And it was like, uh, you know, and I needed to carry like unboxing the junior thing is very important. I don't yeah. know. You see a lot of juniors. Yes, it's a legacy thing, and and you know I was. You know, Stephen Wilson Jr. as an artist suddenly just made sense. I don't know why. It just was like, okay, you're going to do that now. And, you know, you've already, like, you got this great demo. You've already, you know, because I play the guitars and stuff like that. And and uh, Ben and I just had a real chemistry, you know, like, just organic and, like, from a writing and production standpoint. So I, you know, 
I just decided, hey, Ben, I just hit, hit him up. It's like, you want to make it, you know, just record some songs together and see what happens? And he was like, heck yeah. And, and we, you know, he did it for free. And I, I like produce the uh, band sessions. And then I go up to Detroit and bring the sessions up there. And we go in and do a bunch of stuff. And so we kind of did it in Nashville and Detroit. Because he lives in Detroit, he doesn't actually live in Nashville. Oh, really? He, he I didn't know. Would, I didn't. I didn't know that. Yeah, he'd fly down here, so it's a Detroit Nashville combo. So, it's, so does so does it have more of that rocking sound with it I being think in so. Detroit? Yeah, I mean, it definitely has a more like and naturally that, and a midwestern feel too. With it yeah. being in because Detroit, what's is uh, your hometown closer to Nashville or closer to Detroit? Closer to De- or uh, Nashville. Closer so, to Nashville because yeah, yeah. it's that southern. It's about area. five hours from Detroit. Three and a half, four hours from now. When when was it being recorded in Detroit? Was it like in the winter? Because I feel like vibes yeah. are such a big thing too. And like Definitely you're going winter. in, you're going up to Detroit in the winter. That's yeah. very different than going up to Michigan in the summer. So you kind of have that vibe when you're going into the room where you're seeing all the snow. It gets darker early. Like I feel yep. like that added something to it as well. For sure. Yeah. My dad died on September fifteenth, and we went in. Started tracking in like no, November twenty second. I was in like a real dark place naturally, so I was, you know, in a in a weird spot. But it was cold. It was dark, and you know, it was appropriate for what we were doing. And it was like, it was all just a beta test. I didn't really know what any of this was going to do. And then I released this song called "The Devil," and uh, which is a, like had a big. Um, religious upbringing which was a whole other kind of wing yeah. of my story um but you know i released that song and that that was like the song that started it at all like where it's like okay you're an artist now it was like literally overnight like i was not from, just a from, songwriter from boxer to working out working doing the um the research and development down with um down doing the the pet food stuff yeah to be in the song to take in getting out of the golden handcuffs being the songwriter to that moment where now you're Stephen Wilson Jr., the artist. Yeah. That, that's quite a quite a wild 20 years there, dude. Yeah, it's a weird arc. <laughs> it's so pretty it's, wild. <laughs> that's pretty wild, man. Yeah. That's well, a cool ass story. Well, it's it's been a it's been quite the journey and I think a lot of the experiences are, you know, um are the the things that make it all up, you know, the pain and everything I went through as a kid uh from you know, seeing my mom get beaten by another dude or like drugs and all that stuff to like crazy Pentecostal uh, super religion. I saw oh, people pen- like Pentecostal. Okay. Yeah. So I've learned a lot. So from New York, you're either, you're either Catholic, you're Jewish, you're Islamic, or you're, there's some forms of Protestant, but there's yeah. not a whole lot. I come down here. I learned there's a million different ways yeah. to worship Jesus. Totally. Pentecostal being one of them. And I've learned a little bit about it. But that, that is, that, that now I understand what you're talking about when you say the religious upbringing, because Pentecostal is very, that's very heavily like involved. Like the church oh, yeah. is a big part of your life if you Huge, grow up yeah. that way. Yeah. So I grew up in a Nazarene church and my grandpa was a Nazarene preacher. And Nazarene's a branch of the Pentecostal church and feel a little bit different, but it's very that's, intense. That's connected to Trevecca here in town, right? Yeah. Trevecca, the Nazarene. Okay. Yeah. And, um, and then I had a lot of Pentecostal friends. All my friends were mostly in Pentecostal church. So I had to go to like Wednesday night churches. I had to go to Sunday night churches and Sunday morning churches in order to hang out with them. You had to go to church in order to hang out. So you just see a lot of crazy stuff on a Sunday morning. Like I, I joke around, but it's not a joke. I used to like sneak out and go to keggers and stuff when I was in high school around 
16 or whatever, and I'd roll my S10 pickup truck back up the driveway at about 4 in the morning. And the church service at 10 a.m. was crazier than the kegger that I was just at five hours before that because it was like you get the church at 10 a.m. It was just like people rolling around, walling around, screaming, and people getting demons cast out of them, exorcisms like right there on the spot. So it's kind of like the scene speaking in... Speaking in so, tongues. So it's like the scene in Borat where he's traveling across the country to go and get Pamela Anderson to marry him, and he pops in the church, and they put like the hand on his head, yep. and like he starts like talking in tongues and stuff. Yeah. So yep. that stuff's all real. Oh, well, so I, mean, I didn't yeah. grow up. I didn't grow up around that at all. Oh, yeah, I saw all that craziness. So, um, you know, getting slain in the spirit, laughing uncontrollably all that stuff it'd be weird uh like you would see somebody get like a a demon cast out of them and then you like run into them at the grocery store like a couple hours later which is like really weird kind of small talk thing to make like try to like you know pick up a conversation with somebody that just got a demon cast out it's like what do you say to them (laughs) like (laughs) what's up man like how are you feeling? Because, yeah, you're seeing these people like almost 24-7 because it's yeah. such small-town USA. There's Everybody yeah. goes to the same church. Everybody shops at the same grocery store. Yeah, it's pretty wild behavior for a dude named Doug or Rob or a, a lady named Eileen. Like, he's <laughs> like, you just don't expect. Come on, Eileen. <laughs> yeah, come on, Eileen. But, no, like, you'd see, yeah, a lady named Ruth just, like, freaking out. And then you'd run into her, like, trying to just casually buy a turkey like it ain't no big deal. It's like, yeah, that's that's wild, Ruth. <laughs> you did some <laughs> wild shit this morning. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I've had, I've had friends that have told me, like, I've experienced, like, I call it um, rock concert church, which is, like, uh, cross point, where there's, like, a full band. Yeah. It's like you're at a concert and Jesus yeah. is involved. Like, yeah. I, didn't, I grew up Episcopalian, so it was, like, not it was like they they say it's like being catholic but you're allowed to smoke like it's yeah. a very relaxed form of catholicism no confession booth not as much you don't hear about us as much in the news it's a little bit more progressive but um but yeah i've heard i've had friends tell me you got to experience a pentecostal revival or something yeah. like that, that I, I need to experience it one day just to see yeah. it you should i mean it's definitely it's a, a sector of our culture that you know has a big influence on a lot of people whatever you believe in but it's, you know, I think we're all kind of tapping into the same spectrum and then yeah. there's something kind of beautiful about it, even though it's a little bit crazy. And then, you know, maybe there's something good about the Rock Show Church, the, yeah. the Holy Rolling Stones or whatever you call it. Like, the, <laughs> the uh, like it is, like I think a rock it's, show. I think it's called non-denominational, but it's yeah. like you'll see guys that are out rocking on Broadway and then on Sunday mornings they're like oh, yeah. in church rocking out. It's like, I just watched you take a ton of, watched you party in the night before doing the playing guitar, doing the same thing. Yeah. A little less headbanging over there at Crosspoint, but yeah. they're still into it. Oh, yeah, for sure. But, yeah. That's that's a whole world. So another thing I wanted to ask you is, so being in the, I won't say the Nashville, I'll say the Middle Tennessee area, because that's the correct term if you're going down to Murfreesboro, if you're going down I-24, which, how yeah. good is it to see I-24 finally getting the road work that oh, it no. needs? Finally, yeah. Because you've been seeing potholes there for probably oh my gosh, decades yeah. for you. Um, what um how, What changes have you seen in Middle Tennessee in 20 years? Like, what was, Shoot. you say you fell in love with Nashville when you first came here around, around Y2K. What what had you falling in love with it then? Because it's definitely got to be different now. It's different now for me, and I've been I've only been here three years, and yeah. the whole skyline looks different. Yeah, it's been quite the change, you know. Um, just to see all the growth that's happened here, and 
I kind of like had a feeling it was going to happen for some reason. Like really? it just seemed like, at least in like 2005 and 2006, I just remember there just kind of being an undercurrent in this city. Like how so? What do you mean by undercurrent? Is it not palpable? I I can't really quantify it. It just was like I just had a feeling to it, you know. And uh, then the you know big Wall Street crash happened in 08, which was a little weird. But Nashville just kind of kept growing. And I was like, okay, this is. I think, you know, this is turning into something. And then by 2012 and 2015, you know, here we go. It's just gangbusters here. And, you know, the real estate market's crazy too. But yeah, I mean, that's, you know, seeing all the growth between Murfreesboro and Nashville and Clarksville and, and, uh, you know, you know, Goodlettsville being a, a town now. Like, it's just like these weren't, these were all just little bedroom communities. Lebanon yeah. being a big place. Mount Juliet totally, yeah. being a big place. Spring, Spring Hill being yeah. a big place. Absolutely, like, yeah. All those areas, it's got to be, what do you What do you miss about um, Nashville 10 years ago? Uh, less think? traffic, I guess. <laughs> I but, yeah, um, yeah. You know, they would just had a little bit more of a small town feel. I think everybody says that. Um, I think the, the music scene was a little, was different and perhaps even better because I think this town was built around music and now it's, it's got other dimensions outside of music from the tech world to healthcare to, you know, there's HCAs based out of here now and you just have a lot, kind of like Austin where they're having, you have these multidimensional. Yeah, I, I hear comparisons to Austin and comparisons to Denver yeah. a lot. Yeah, cities. so you get all this kind of these other avenues of business. So like, you know, the arts kind of tend to get overlooked and overshadowed by money. And, you know, like, you know, the, the tech business doesn't really care about the music scene here and the history and the, the legacy of music in this town. And that's a little upsetting, I think. Or they don't at least have the reverence for it that most people that came to Nashville, most people that moved to Nashville moved here for music. 20 years ago they moved here for the pursuit of their their musical dreams yeah. and aspirations they didn't come here to work you know at some tech company or work for hca or work for you know or a, make six figures being a bartender on broadway or that like, too, that yeah. stuff too because that that the tourism is a whole nother thing as yep, well absolutely and so a lot you know there was just a different intention for people being here and now, like, I'd say there's just a much larger slice of the pie of people that are here just for a nine-to-five job. They're not here to—they're not big dreamers. And, you know, uh, big fish in small ponds come into yeah. a yeah. really big ocean, yeah. you know. Yeah, and you talk about the real estate market exploding. What—your your first time living on your own in Middle Tennessee, where was it and how much was your rent, if you don't mind me asking? Oh, shoot. Okay. Um, if you could think of—if you could think of— well, I lived in Sylvan Park, just to give you some reference. Nice a, area. Yeah, a little. It's a nice. Wasn't quite as nice then, but uh, it's a nice area. I lived. Me and my lead singer of my indie band lived there. We paid five hundred dollars a month in rent, and split it. So two fifty a month was all in I, Sylvan Park. In Sylvan Park, right there Whoa. between off Murphy Road and and Charlotte. Yeah, so it was. 250 bucks a month is all I had to come up with and Jeez. like $75 in utilities. So yeah. all I had to do is make like 325 bucks a month and I was clear <laughs> and make my like, you know, $100 car payment for my shitty, you know, Chevy Corsica or whatever it was I was driving at the time. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, that, I think the uh, utilities, if you're living in a house with somebody near Sylvan Park, 
are closer to that 250 yeah rent absolutely. you're paying so i mean that's 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 crazy to hear because yeah. sylvan park is like and again you said it's different back then than what it is now but um but still i mean it, it, it's probably like for that same if that same unit is even there it's probably 15 to 1700 at least yeah. if not maybe closer to two yeah the and, whole thing yeah which what you you start pricing out the folks that are kind of leaving home, leaving that small town to, to pursue their dream. Yeah. Like they're, they're like the, the tech guys and people like that that are coming in tech guys and girls that are coming in, um, have, can afford more of that stuff. But it's, it's tough yeah. when you come down here, if you're coming from X, Y, Z city, it's tough yeah. to kind of get on your feet. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely kind of pushed the, uh, the creators and the artists to the, to the wayside a little bit because yeah, like you said, they can afford more and, Usually if you come here to be a broke-ass songwriter and, or an artist or whatever it is, you're kind of like, you know, just scraping by. And it's very hard to scrape up $1,700 a month in just rent. Yeah. You like, you really kind of got to commit to an occupation, like, as your side hustle. And then your real hustle that you're really here for sometimes gets put to the wayside because you're just so occupied with trying to make your rent yeah i think uh, yeah i think that's why all these little like you were talking about like clarksville and goodlettsville and all these little subsidiaries have grown so much too because you have that's it's a little bit more affordable out there so you've got a lot of artists and writers and and musicians that's a whole nother thing too like if you're a drummer you just come in here and you like 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 mcawain right there he's a drummer he's not a writer or an artist but if you're just a musician there's a spot there's a place for you in this town so sure a lot of different people moving in so now um we fast forward coming up towards the end of 2021 been a pretty good year for you huh yeah for sure yeah it's been kind of a yeah transformational year in a lot of ways i got you know management and booking and and uh you know yeah it's just kind of all this stuff is kind of happened on its own because we you know put those songs out and just kind of a little leap of faith and yeah it's been a, a so pretty what, wild so, year so what's coming up the rest of this year so you've been you said you were just up in south dakota yeah I was Dead, just up there. Deadwood, which yeah. you said is exactly how it sounds. Yeah, and it's an awesome town. It's yeah. like a Wild West town. And I uh, played at a songwriter festival up there called the Wild West Songwriters Festival, which is an awesome fest. Anyone that's, that's writes songs should, or likes songs should go up there for it. But um, So, yeah, I'm making a record right now. I'm making, you know, I'm following up the, the songs we've released. It's like, okay, the, the beta test has been, it's been tested, so to speak. We got our data. We got our yeah. results into... And the Perhaps data, they're, they're data. Data is good. The data is good. The, the yeah. data is very good. Yeah, and uh, so okay, let's let's continue. And uh, and you know we have a really good blueprint, and then we're just keeping it the same. The Nashville Detroit combo, not changing anything. So same studio, same players, same everything. And yeah, it's just let's go, let's yep. make more music, let's play shows, and that's that's the future so hell yeah any anything big coming up for 2022 you can share with us uh well i got a tour with brothers osborne bro that's huge yeah over in the uk and uh that's gonna be great so i really want to spend a lot of time you know over in that market as well i just uh have you have you seen good numbers from abroad yeah for sure yeah especially in the uk i would say uk and australia has been like why, why do you think that is i don't know um they uh they just they have a different having toured over there a little bit they just have a different I think outlook on music it's a little bit more of a culture to them uh, it's a lifestyle if anything and um, maybe it's just tapping into that ethos a little bit more so than here um, but we're we're having obviously great 
results here yeah, too. And, and do you know um, John and TJ? Well, have you gotten the yeah, you got to know um, those guys? I know you, they they had uh, cut one of your songs, right? Yeah, they, they did, and uh, it's one of my favorite songs, and called "Make It a Good One." And um, honestly, I he, those two guys and I met through a song that song "The Devil" I released. I think it was through that, and I think TJ had heard it or something, or, or John had heard it. I think. And uh, you know, my friend Kate York had played it for him because I, I hadn't even released it yet. I was just kind of sending it to her to kind of just get her ears on. I'm like, what do you think of this mix? Is this garbage? Am I an idiot? You know, kind of thing. And she was like, uh, okay, I love this. And then she's like, I hope you don't mind, but I, I sent this to John and TJ. And anyway, they just responded back that they they love this and they want to write with you. And I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. And so we started, we, you know, we met, started writing songs together and just kind of got to hang out and realize, okay, we have a ton in common. And yeah, now they just feel like really, you know, good dudes, good friends, like kind of like family in a lot of ways. Oh, I just, yeah. just kind of connect to them. In a, and uh, yeah, John hit me up and said, hey, you want to come open up for us in the UK? And uh, I was like, oh, hell yes. And uh, so here we are. Hell yeah, Hopefully dude. there's more to come, you know. Yeah, man. And you talk about you're you're coming up with, playing in that indie rock band and like the rock show being such a big thing for you and like yep. strength that band you look at the brothers osborne that live show i mean their their songs and their records are great like great writing like they're great all the way around but their live show if anybody hasn't been to a brothers osborne live show i highly recommend going yeah, because sure. th those boys those boys rock so that's really cool for you too i think that's a great pairing like for, oh, for you to be you. out with them and i'm excited for you dude that's freaking freaking awesome Damn, i'm super stoked thank you for saying that and you know it's just our uh, our show is very much a rock show as yeah. well. Like even though I write country songs, but the the show is very rock and roll. I can't I can't help it. Yeah, there you are. That's, and that's I wouldn't yeah. if I could. Yeah, you're gonna but, you're gonna be you, man. If you were anybody other but anybody other than yourself, like it wouldn't be wouldn't be the same thing. Yeah, you know? I guess so. That's awesome, man. Well, um, bro, this has been awesome. Like oh, thank getting you. to getting to talk with you. A few last things. Um, when you were first starting out, uh, what's something you wish you could have told yourself when you were getting this songwriting journey going? Um, wish, or something like like a message you'd pass along to younger you. Uh, the gears are going to turn slower than you think, and um, I guess don't chase anything. Um, yeah, just. Um, is right what is real to you and which is something i think i've mostly always done but you know just um yeah write the realest thing you can find and and just put your faith in that and and i guess that's what i would say yeah awesome um best um i've learned that especially in middle tennessee but throughout the southeast folks love their mexican food best mexican restaurant in nashville mm. you're your favorite Probably Moss Taco or Mas something. Taco. Yeah, I gotta say over in East. Um, can't really go wrong there. Um, let's see. There's got to be another. Oh, uh, was it Aztec over yeah. there off Nolansville? That yeah. place is fire. Too. That place is really good, and that's in like a hidden little, yeah, hidden little spot. That yeah. place is great. Um, best hidden gem in Nashville. Best hidden gem. Either food or whatever, just something that doesn't really get talked about that's like a great place that if somebody's listening, they're visiting Nashville, they got to check out. Um, all right. It's not in Nashville. It's outside of Nashville. Okay. The, this it, is the a area, top yeah. secret little spot. What's that? It's called the Beacon Light Tea Room. Where the hell is that? It's out west of Fairview. 
Um, you see, it's about 15 minutes west of the Loveless Cafe. So if you can't get into the Loveless Cafe or they say, hey, you got a two-hour wait to get in the Loveless, just start heading west about 20 minutes to the Beacon Light Tea Room, and you'll get there way quicker than you'll get seated at the Loveless. And it's, it's really good. So and it's it just like, like a little a little restaurant right off Highway 100. You can't miss it. Same highway that Loveless is on. So I'd say yeah, go there. Hell yeah, that that's awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely. Best, well, I, I'm gonna have to check that out. No, yeah. I'm, I know we're here in Hermitage. We'll we'll drive west just to yeah. check that out. Hop on Highway yeah. 100. Best biscuits and and homemade jam and fried chicken and all that stuff and breakfast. Okay, well, and it feels feels real. Feels sure. real. That's that's what it's all about. Well, man, talking about real, you're you're a real guy. We really appreciate you coming in and oh, hanging you, out man. with us. Um, where can people find you on all the socials? Uh, Stephen Wilson Junior on Instagram. Uh, Stephen Wilson Junior on TikTok, and it's Stephen with a ph. Like yep. the the biblical spelling, the so. proper way to spell it. Yeah, None of those looks like, d's. Looks like <laughs> Stephen, but. Uh, but yeah, I think those are the best ways to find me. And then I'm on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, all that stuff. Stephen Wilson Jr. And, and you got the website where people can find tour yeah. information and all that stuff. Yeah, it's www.stephenwilsonjrmusic.com. <laughs> Hell yeah. whole lot of that. There you go. But, awesome, man. You love to see it. And uh, are you cool playing a song for us? I am. I'd awesome, man. Well, um, I think the one that you, you can play... You can play um, Year to Be Young, 1994. You can play whatever song you want. You want to hit us with some new shit? Like, we're all about it. So you play okay. whatever whatever songs you want, man. So while Steven gets that, uh, gets that guitar set up, guys, thank you for listening to another edition of the In The Round podcast. Absolute blast. Make sure you check out our boy, Steven Wilson Jr. And I uh, want to give a quick shout-out again to the sponsors, Whale Tail Media, Saxman Studios, and, of course, our friends in the green world, Trailside CBD Emporium. Use promo code ITR at checkout. You save 20%, or I guess 20% on your order, and uh, you can get high legally like we do here at In The Round Podcast. Now, without further ado, we're going to send it to our boy, Steven Wilson Jr. He's going to play some songs for y'all. You guys have been listening to the In The Round Podcast. I must admit I felt the flame Kurt Cobain, a Fender Mustang MTV brought me up This is your brain on drugs And I won't forget that first girlfriend That got me into boys to men I grew up a lot that year My sweatshirt said no fear My life was a stale and it was everything first one in line for the last dance with mary jane hiding in my headphones laying on the bedroom floor 1994 tell mom see you later you don't be blowing up my pager when the show's over, I'll come home. When that is, I don't know. Teen spirit in the air for y'all on cell phones. Study all passing notes. Yes, no, or I don't care. When my life was a stereo and it was everything soundtrack, first kiss out at the Hands held, two hearts falling on.
Back when my life was a stereo Back when my life was a stereo And it was everything soundtrack Takes me back through all those memories Nineteen ninety four.